Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. We need to do worship by the book, and that requires obedience to God. Worship, like our paramedic said to the crowd, has to be by the book. According to prescription, obedience over preference. It's a cognitive act, not a mindless practice. It's a demonstration of self-control, of witness. It's devotion. It reveals the heart. It is an internal, not an external. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken in two All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We discussed about the, the, the context of this whole discussion in 1 Timothy 2 is the fact that Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. She was a fertility goddess. The Romans also used her as the goddess of the hunt. And the worship there was very ostentatious, very dramatic, very over the top. And the priests posed and postured and the vestal virgins and some would say the temple prostitutes dressed heavily dolled up, lots of gold, lots of this, lots of that. It was pageantry at its best or some would say worst. And so the Holy Spirit speaking through the pen of the Apostle Paul speaks to them then and there and us here and now and says, The church is to be unlike the world. It's not to look like the culture. It's to be counter-cultural. And our corporate worship should not reflect externals, but internals. And that's why there's this caution, there's this command about the men leading worship to do it with a right heart and the women to conduct themselves with a right heart. Because God looks at the heart. It's not about externals. It's about what's going on inside of you Because what's going on inside of you eventually comes out of you. So when it comes to public worship, realize it's all about the internals, not merely the externals. Also realize, as we work our way through this message, that each of these points builds on the other and serves sort of as application for the preceding point. See, You see, this sermon isn't to give you rules to dress by or how to posture. It's to cause you to think. It's to call you to consider how you apply the Bible to every aspect of your life, particularly public worship, which brings us to reality number two. Reality number two is this. It's not about, it's all about 
witness and not about excess. It's all about witness and not about excess. You hear me trying to rhyme that nest there? And, and what do we see? We see that in verses 9 and 10. Likewise, I desire then that in every place also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and not gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. They are to adorn themselves with good works. If we truncate that passage, it says that women are to adorn themselves with modesty, self-control, with good works. It's, again, about what's inside of us coming out of us. It's about witness. It's about where you put your effort in the worship service and in your whole life. Where you put your energy, where you put your, your focus. And if your focus is on your cosmetics, if it's on your outward appearance and not how you live out your faith before a broken and hurting world, things are out of focus. And so Paul uses the women as an example, contrasting them with the women at the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. The question implied here is, are you known more about how you dress on Sunday than how you live Monday through Saturday? And when you look at verse 9, you understand that a woman or anyone else in the congregation who is spirit-filled is going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at Ephesians 5, to 23, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It's how we bear witness. It's how we respond to situations, not react. And so in Ephesians 5, and 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, our witness reveals who we are. And self-control is explicitly listed here in this fruit of the Spirit and in this passage in verses 9 and 10. And modesty is too. Modesty is more than how you dress. It's how you behave. And I submit to you, things like peace, patience, kindness also speak to modesty. And modesty can reveal itself through dress that is not ostentatious or distracting, excessive, yes, but mostly through conduct, mostly through attitude. And self-control and modesty are woven together. They are interconnected. And that's why I say it's all about witness, not about excess. You go to the temple of Artemis, and it's all excess. It's all drama. It's all pageantry. You go to the church of the living God, and it should be all devotion. It should be an internal commitment, an internal consecration of the heart to God manifested in the way that we pray, in the way that we carry ourselves in the worship service. The church is cautioned not to be like the world, but unlike the world. It's called to be countercultural. Where you put most of your effort should be toward worship, not looks, not postures, not positions. And so there's this call to devotion, to inner consecration that would manifest itself in our daily lives, particularly in the worship service. And let me just go on to say here, this is not a criticism of dress codes. The structure of the sentence in the Greek, I want women to adorn themselves, really speaks to a positive thing. He wants women 
to add to their beauty, to add to their, to their, to, to, to enhance the way they look by the way they act. A beautiful person. So Paul recognizes that women are beautiful. There's no biblical warrant here in these verses or command for women to neglect their appearance, to conceal their beauty or to become dowdy or frumpish. The question is how they adorn themselves to the outside world because the world is always watching Christians. We live in a surveillance culture and we don't want to be like the world. We want to be unlike the world. We don't want to blend in with the culture. We want to be countercultural so that people can see a difference. They can see the difference that Christ makes. And so Paul is saying it's about witness, not excess. It's about what should mark you out? What should identify you as a Christ follower? A sincere Christian heart, devoted and consecrated to God, is set apart in its worship by the way that it witnesses. Because everything that we say, think, and do is worship. In, in the church building and in the world, the church, the people of God, should be focused more on witness rather than excess, rather than being obsessed with something of no eternal value. They should live by the book. They should bear witness to Christ. Christianity isn't, and its worship isn't, so much about outward appearances, but the inward heart. You know, we talk about right thinking leads to right attitude, action, words, and deeds. Internals that eventually do become externals, but in the best sense imaginable in terms of our witness to Christ. And again, it's all about witness, not the cares and excesses of the world. Paul isn't picking on women. He picks on men too. He covers everybody in those first two verses. I desire then that men in every place, I desire then that the women, he's talking to everybody, but particularly to the men who lead worship and particularly to the women who in that culture were to provide a counterbalance to the pagan practices all around them. It's not about posture, it's about practice, it's about witness. It's not about the show, we said this last week, it's about the grow. It's about witness, not excess. And you know, you see this idea of witness, this common thread woven all through the fabric of the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, of 2 Timothy, of Titus. Where do we see that? You see it, you see it in, first, in, in Titus 2, 2 through 5. What does it say? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women are to likewise be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Watch this so that the word of God may not be reviled. It's about witness. Every aspect of our worship, particularly our public worship, is about witness. Witness that is not excess like the world. You see it in 1 Timothy 3 in the discussion of an overseer. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, 3, 8, and 3, 12, we see this. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, witness, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, again, that's witness, respectable, witness, hospitable, witness, able to teach. Verse, uh, verse 8, deacons likewise must be, verse 12, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. It's about witness. 
And then in Titus 1.16, we see just the opposite, how it can go in the wrong direction. In Titus 1.16, it talks about people who say they're believers, who say that they're Christ followers, but their lives indicate something differently. Let's look at it here. They profess to know God, but instead they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Titus 1.16. And then in 1 Timothy 5.7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. It's about witness. What we do inside the church building as we gather as a church family and what we do outside is about witness. It's about the internals, not the externals. It's about witness, not excess. And you know what that means? It all comes down, and this is reality number three, it all comes down to this. It's all about obedience, not preference. Where does a good witness come from? It comes from an obedient heart. That's an internal, not an external. It comes from a desire to honor God. That's the witness, but it's driven by a heart committed to God. It's all about obedience and not preference. It's not about our preferences. It's about God's will. It's about God's word. Where do we see this? We see this at the very beginning of verse 8. And I actually saved it for the end. Sort of took it out of sequence. And what do we see in verse 8? I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel. What's going on there? Paul is given a prescription. Look again with me here at the beginning of uh, 2.8. 2.8a, I desire then that the men in every place, likewise also that the women should. What's in a word here? You see this word desire. Some translations say want. What does this have to do with anything? It's like this. And it's unfortunate, but today many people try to get around what Paul teaches in the pastoral epistles. And so they say, well, that's his desire. I mean, Paul is expressing a preference. You know, I I don't follow Paul, I follow Jesus. You know, the red letter Christian thing. But here's the problem. When he says, I desire there, we tend to think of a preference or a wish. In fact, if you go back to uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, God, who desires all men to be saved, right? But those two words in English are both desire, but in the Greek language, they are two different words and they carry two different connotations. There's the word thalo, which means God wishes, God would prefer. And you see that in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. God who desires, who thalos, if you want to put it that way, all people to be saved. And then, in 1 Timothy 2.8, later on, you have that word desire again, but this time it's bulamai. I know it's a great sounding word. I desire, I bulamai then that the men in every place should lift up holy hands. That word bulamai is a prescription. And you know, you can't say, well, that's Paul. No, Paul is giving a command. And who is Paul? Paul is, a, is an apostle by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And, and you can't take what we're going to be studying in the weeks to come and try to somehow pit other passages against it and say, well, that's Paul or that's this. There is no Bible within the Bible. There is no canon within the canon. Our worship, our corporate worship, and our daily living has to be conformed 
to the word of God by the book. That's why Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is a command. This is a prescription here. And if you want to be unlike the world, if you want to be countercultural, if you want our worship, our honor of God to stand out rather than be one more face in the crowd, we need to do worship by the book. And that requires obedience to God. Worship, like our paramedic said to the crowd, has to be by the book. According to prescription, obedience over preference. It's a cognitive act, not a mindless practice. It's a demonstration of self-control, of witness. It's devotion. It reveals the heart. It is an internal, not an external. I desire, with what Paul writes in the pastoral epistles here in Church Matters, has nothing to do with his preferences, but God's will for the church. God's requirements for his people. Paul is an apostle. He is the mouthpiece for God. He is giving universal principles here for church matters. And Christ followers in temperament and in attitude more and more should be conforming their will to God's will. Because church matters matter to God, just like doctrine. And doctrine affects practice, and God has given us a blueprint to worship him according to his dictates in obedience to his word, conforming our will to his will, which is the ultimate worship, right? Not to be conformed to this world, but to have your mind renewed and transformed by God. That's what this is all about. It's an attitude that Jesus manifested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not what I will, Father, but your will be done. And that's entirely unlike the world. And that's entirely countercultural. And it's entirely in harmony with the New Testament. In fact, the book of Ephesians talks about the need for obedience to no longer walk as you once walked in the course of this world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, presenting your body as living sacrifices, conform to the image of God's Son. These aren't options. These are marching orders for the Christ follower. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are marching orders for church matters. That's why in Titus he says, the reason I left you in Crete is to set things in order according to God's dictates. That's why in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he says, I write these things to you so that you will know how to conduct yourself, how one is to conduct himself or herself in the household of faith, that is the church of the living God, the, the foundation and buttress of the truth. The language is a call to obedience in ministry and in life. And you see it all through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare. This charge, this command that you are to obey, wage the good warfare. Titus 2, 2 and 3, we saw this already. Older men are to be, older women are to be. These are commands. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Commands. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, first of all, then I urge that supplications. That word there in the Greek is more of a military order, I urge. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God. 
How we do public worship, how we conduct it, how we conduct ourselves, how we display ourselves, how we prepare ourselves, how we position ourselves should be done in obedience to the blueprint that we have here, to the roadmap to reality that we have here in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It is our witness and our testimony, a witness that reveals the heart. It's about the internal because what's inside of us is going to come out of us, lifting up holy hands, adorned with good works. It's about a heart dead to its own preferences and entirely given over to obedience, no matter what God requires of us. You see a picture of that in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Jesus is our example of obedience that goes beyond our preferences, that goes beyond what's convenient. What does it say in Philippians 2, 5 through 8? It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, equate, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't know about you, but that would not be my preference. And, you know, Jesus said, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, not what I will, Father, but what you will. This is a principle here that guides and guards the worship of the Most High God. It should apply to our lives. Our worship, public and private, corporate and individual, must be all about obedience and not preference if we are to be a church unlike the world. We want to be countercultural. That is biblical. And so we must do God's business, God's way, according to his prescriptions found here in the word of God. Because church matters, matter to God, and so they must matter to us. And we'll talk more about that next week. But right now, I'd just like to review quickly. So what were the three realities? Number one, worship is about internals, not externals or appearances. Number two, it's all about witness and not excess. And number three, it's about obedience to God's will, not following our preferences. It's, a, it's not about cultural norms. It's about being different from the world around us. It's about being different than the culture. And so as we turn our attention to application, I want you to think. I, I can't give you a comprehensive list of 15 things you can do next week, this week, to live out your faith. But I can ask you to think. And so think about these things. Think about this. Question number one, do you understand what you claim is only reflected in how you obey his word? It's a difference between conviction and convenience. There are some people who will follow God as long as it's easy or convenient. And as long as it doesn't cause them too much pain or persecution or embarrassment. But a conviction holds you and keeps you on track. Do you understand that? Do you understand that God's word is God's will? Number two, Ask yourself, what is in my heart? A way out of obedience or a way in to conforming my life to the word of God? Do I want to be conformed to the culture or to the Im- do I want to be conformed to the image of the Son of God? Question number three. Does your witness consistently reveal that you are committed to obeying God's word no matter how inconvenient, no matter how painful, 
and no matter what your natural preferences might be. What do your attitudes and your postures and your dress say about you? And what do they say about Jesus Christ? Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then... I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.